to really understand my body better and to really understand how much is too much and how little is too little and to find what is enough to, to perform good but still give my body the rest that it needs. Hello and welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast. As you can probably tell, the sound is not the same for this introduction. My wire broke on my microphone again. How many times that can that happen to somebody? So I'm going to keep this short because in an, in an attempt to get a soundproof room, I'm sitting in a black car outside and it's 34 degrees out. So I'm about to die. The heat training, maybe? Today I have a guest that I was nervous to reach out to on Instagram because she has a zillion followers and she does so much amazing work. Um, but I finally did and she was so lovely and so nice. And her name is Leslie and she is currently in Costa Rica when we chat, but she's from the Netherlands originally and she is a health and performance coach and specializes in mobility, strength and female strength. We talk about so many things. We had you guys write in some questions we talked about the top, her top favorite kind of um, exercises for runners, and she used to be a runner herself. Talk about what mobility actually means and how often you should work that into your work week. And then we get into a bit of training around our cycle, which we've touched on a little bit with different guests, but we haven't had an expert on. And Leslie is so freaking knowledgeable. So after the interview, I was like, do you have notes in front of you or is this just in your brain? But um, you can tell it how easy she speaks about it, that she just knows this stuff inside and out. So I'm going to link to her Instagram. It's Leslie underscore functional body unit. And she has like, I've been doing some of her exercises and incorporated them into my routine. And they're some of my favorite. So check out all of her content, check out her website. I'll link to it all. Um, she is just Super, super rad, and I am so stoked to be interviewing her. Lost my train of thought there. Quick word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is brought to us by Athletic Brewing. So they have high-quality, flavorful, award-winning craft beer that just happens to be non-alcoholic. Their brewers and founders, John and co-founder Bill, brewed hundreds of beers until they perfected a mosaic of brewing processes to make craft beer that is exactly what we want with no alcohol. It goes shoulder to shoulder with any of the craft beers in quality and taste with only 50 to 70 calories per can. So they really do fit into any occasion. Um, I've said before in the show, and I know other people are kind of in the same boat, that um, alcohol doesn't always add to your life, and it's nice to just have that flavor and not have to compromise for me, especially sleep, that's the big one, and recovery and still feel great and be able to drive home with my toddler in the car and not worry about it. Um, but I feel amazing and realize that it's just the social situation. It's not the alcohol. So I'm stoked to be trying these beers and you can go to athleticbrewing.com and use the discount code TRW15 for 15% off. And we're shipping to the US, or to Canada, and I think the UK, double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's what they said. So you can get it anywhere, use that discount code TRW15. Um, they are also donating to trail work, so I'll get more into that next time, but guys, they're giving back to the community that we love. Thank you so much to everyone who's leaving five star reviews. I'm gonna read one really quick, and then we're gonna get into the episode because I'm about to die. So upbeat, frank, and fresh. As a fan for over a year today, I had to stop by and write a five star review. Hillary's authentic love of sport and life that excludes it. 
and life that exudes in every episode is intimately shared with her audience. I especially enjoyed the body image discussion. Keep up the important work. So thank you so much. You're right. I do love sports a lot so much. And a huge thanks again to everybody who is on Patreon. So if you want to find us there or just find me on Instagram, it's hillsport55. Okay, I'm going to leave that at that. Bye. Okay, welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast. I have a super special guest today who I actually found and have been following for a while on Instagram because of your posts and your knowledge with the female body to do with strength training and mobility and nutrition. So I'm really excited that you have taken the time all the way from Costa Rica to join me today. So thank you so much and welcome to the show, Leslie. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you. So let's start with a bit of an, an intro on you. I know you have some history with track and then you got into to lifting and then became the strength and mobility expert that you are today. So why don't you give us a bit of a, a history on your athletic career and how you got into strength and mobility? So I started track and field when I was very young. So I say, I'd say about 10 years old. And I just stuck with it until I was in my early 20s. And... I did a lot of other sports when I was younger, but this was like running and sprinting was what really stuck with me for all the time. And I got competitive about it. So I um, did a lot of competitions. Actually, I got quite obsessed about it. So at a time in 2017, 2018, I was like, okay, this needs to stop. And I started digging more into like calisthenics and strength-based training and stopped running for a full year because I felt like if I go back to it, I would just keep obsessing about it. And back um, back then, I was already um, a, an athletic coach, coaching younger athletes. And yeah, getting into strength training, I realized how much I was missing out. And then I obsessed about strength training <laughs> and was always like, I, I've, I've always loved training, but I always wanted to do more and I didn't really listen to my body so that's how I got into like the the mobility part into the female physiology part um, to really understand my body better and to really understand how much is too much and how little is too little and to find what is enough to to perform good but still give my body the rest that it needs. Yeah that's such an ongoing battle I think that we all have. And I think it's a space that like, there aren't very many people out there that are strength coaches that aren't just like, this is how you lose weight that are looking at how to be strong in all sorts of positions and how to feel the best, I guess, which was what really stuck out for what you're doing too. Yeah, absolutely. So I asked some listeners some questions that they had for you and kind of some of the introductory questions that I got are, um, talking about the difference between movement and training and I I know you wrote that a few times in some of your posts can you just speak a little bit about um, what you kind of mean by that yeah absolutely so when we look at training that is something that we do on purpose so that's like that's the way I like to describe it so um, if you're training for a competition for an event a race whatever or just training on purpose when you're doing a handstand practice session or a mobility session a strength session going for a run that's all purposeful training versus movement would be anything we do throughout the day so even just sitting around fidgeting could be considered movement going for a walk going grocery shopping um, 
things like cleaning the house. That's that all falls into the category of movement per se for me, and it's just something that we do、um, based on what our daily life looks like. And training is something that we do on purpose. Right. Okay. I like that, and I think it's important to kind of recognize both. So that you can get to that point, like you said, where you're not doing too much, because I feel like movement can also affect your training to some point. Do you think? Yeah, especially when、uh, you're on a rest day and you're like, okay, today I have a rest day, and then you decide to do all the things, and it's not really a rest day because you decide to go for a two-hour walk or whatever, or clean the entire house, and then it's not really a rest day for the body anymore. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and I think especially as runners, like that, I've just realized that I got to a point recently where, like, I start to get niggles and stuff that I didn't have before, and I think it is partly because of that, like rest days. But my rest days are like chasing a toddler around and trying to clean the house, like you、yeah. said, and you're not actually recovering in that time, right? Yeah.、Um, so you also spoke a bit, and this is more just kind of getting to know you a little bit.、Um, Like there's always this tendency when people want to get results for aesthetic reasons to just train more and eat less, and that、mm-hmm. seems to be the message that we're getting from everywhere.、Um, did you experience something like that and then decide to make a change, or how do you feel about that kind of push that everybody is always saying, including the apps? The apps are always like, "Oh, you just need to add more exercise and eat less." It drives me crazy. Yeah. So、um, personally, I've never. I, like I've always been in the train more spectrum, but not in the eat less spectrum.、Um, but for me, it was more、um, performance based, personally.、Um, so I thought if I train more, then I'll perform better, and then it'll be like this. I have an advantage if I train more. So I, that was the reason for me, not necessarily because of aesthetics. But I do think that,、um, especially in certain. Areas or in certain parts of the sport, a lot of females tend to think they need to look a certain way in order to be considered an athlete. So they're like, I have to have a six pack or I have to be slim, otherwise people will not recognize me or will not see me as a as a real athlete or see me as someone who is doing sports or who is fit. And a lot of the time, I think that's because of this. I don't know exactly why, but I feel like a lot of the time it's the fitness industry tells you that when you look a certain way, then you're acknowledged, and then the only way to get there is to eat less. So eating less and less and less, especially for women, it's like okay, just eat a thousand calories. Don't worry about how you feel, but then at least you look good. There、It's、is、crazy. no emphasis on on health or performance. It's only about the aesthetics. And I think that's where things are going wrong. Yeah, exactly. That was so well said. And I just think, like, we talk, we have a lot. I have interview a lot of runners who are elite runners who have had issues with body image and diet culture,、um, but nobody's really articulated it that well, actually. And I think, like, it just takes people like yourself out there on such public platforms,、um, just kind of debunking that. Uh, and the, what you just said, and if people hear that, and it can resonate with them, because yeah, I've I've struggled with that myself. And you kind of said it that like if I don't look a certain way, then maybe. And for me, it's that people won't know how hard I'm working. And for some reason,、yeah. that drives me crazy. And that's just such a like it's a bunch of bullshit. But anyways, 
Um, yeah. So that could take up a whole podcast rant on its own, I'm sure. But uh, I did get some specific questions about strength and mobility from our listeners that I'd love to go over. Um, so I'll just read them out and then you can let me know what you think. So first one is from Tracy, who is training for a 50 miler. And she said, I'm so bad at stretching and mobility. Does it really make a difference to running performance? Should I be prioritizing that over strength during peak training for a 50 miler? Mm-hmm. So I guess, yeah, strength and mobility versus strength if you don't have time for both. Yeah. So I think what a lot of people min- misunderstand about mobility training is that mobility is also strength training, not necessarily only stretching. So the goal with mobility is to build strength at your end ranges. So it's not necessarily I'm just going to sit here in my stretch and then I'm getting more mobile. <laughs> so it's really when you do mobility training right, you actually do a lot of strength training um, when you're doing mobility training. But I'd say that when you're when you're specifically preparing for an event like a 50 miler, then you have like different phases of your training. Like you have, I don't know the exact names of it, but you have like a like an, maybe an accumulation phase and an intensification phase and these kind of things. And I think depending on where you're at in the in these phases of preparation, um, you can put your mobility into phases where maybe you don't have as much running volume, for example, or not as much intensity. For example, when you're just starting to prep in like the first prep phase, I think that's a good place to start with mobility training because you're not completely exhausted from a lot of intense training. And then when it comes to mobility and strength, what I like to do is when people don't have a lot of time is to just combine it. So like have like a strength and mobility superset, for example. So start with a strength exercise and then followed by mobility exercise directly after. So you do both um, and get the benefits of both worlds. Because I think both are important. You need the strength for, for bone health and for, for power and just general strength. Um, but you also want to have mobility because it builds the foundation um, to run pain-free and to just perform well um, and to also be, like, as you said, you you start to feel some niggles and that could also be because maybe your body is not as prepared as it should be or as you want it to be. So mobility sets the baseline for for that. So that's why I like to combine both. Yeah, and you said something there that I think I probably should have asked you before, but stretching and mobility but you're putting mobility with strength and sorry what did you say being strong at the end of your range of motion yeah exactly so i love that at the end ranges and it builds like prerequisites for all the sports that you're doing and for just a healthy functioning human body and it can increase your performance because you're increasing the strength throughout your range of motion, like because you're building strength at the end range of motion. You have a higher force production because you have more strength throughout the entire range because usually we're the strongest in the mid range. When you start building strength at the end ranges, you're basically increasing your strength potential. So that's why I like to use mobility training. And it also reduces the risk of injury which is important for most performance-based athletes. Yeah, no, for sure. I actually, something that really resonated with me again on your Instagram, which I will link to in the show notes so people can check it out because there's so many great examples of things you can do there, um, is some movement just kind of being play. 
And I found that instead of doing like a strict mobility workout, because of COVID, I've just been working out at my own gym at my house and I've Mm -hmm. felt so much more freedom because nobody's watching me and basically just like moving around however I kind of feel like it and picking up weights and kind of getting into like mildly awkward positions that aren't like your standard kind of bench deadlift squat and then trying to get strong there. So I feel like, yeah, mobility can kind of look really personalized too, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, uh, just as you said, like most of the most of the strength based exercises that we're doing are very linear. But when we do mobility training, there's also a lot of looking at the joint itself and looking at working on on ranges that we don't usually work in. But um, and the functional range conditioning world, which is like the mobility um, seminar that I did, um, we call it or we say. When, what you, when you don't use it, you lose it. So when you don't train or or be or are in a certain range of motion every, every other day, for example, then you're going to lose that range of motion because your body is smart and only sticks to what it really needs. So if you're not in a range of motion, or for example, a lot of people have troubles getting their hands on the ground in the forward fold or touching their toes, mm. and it's because they haven't been in this position for a very long time or not often enough. And so the body thinks, okay, I don't need that range of motion. So the central nervous system thinks it's not safe to go into that range and therefore oh, wow. you're not able to go there. So it's just Crazy. a mechanism as well. So that is so applicable to trail runners too, right? Because the terrain is never even and you're going to be in positions that you definitely haven't been in every other day. So this is yeah. so important. Especially with the like, especially when you look at trail running, you don't have like a flat ground. So your ankles and your knees they need to be really strong and stable to go over that uneven ground and to to go there fast without injuring or twisting their ankle. Yeah, no, totally. And sprained ankles are like so common. That's one of the biggest things. So one question that we got from quite a few listeners, so I just kind of compiled it into one, was just looking for examples. Like, I think people are like, okay, I'm going to do some mobility, but it still is, it almost seems kind of relatively um, new in a sense about mm-hmm. what that would actually look like. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's easy to describe in an, in an audio. I can, again, click link to things in the show notes, but can you break down maybe like your top three favorite mobility or and maybe end strength exercises that you think runners need to be doing okay so I think um especially with running like it always depends I will say um I need to do an assessment with a person to know where the person is and to know what the person really needs so um that we don't guess but really we have the assessment but if I had to say what's really important for runners then I'd say looking at the ankle mobility and then a lot of people are obsessed with dorsiflexion or plantar flexion. But as a runner, I would really look into the rotational capacity of the ankle. So like because you're on a lot of the time um, uneven ground as well. So you want to look at inversion and eversion, um, which is like internal and external rotation basically of the ankle. The same for the knee, looking at um, knee rotation and hip rotation. And when you build hip rotation, that's when you then can when you where you can add like for example hip extension or hip flexion as well. But I would start with establishing hip rotation. Um, and if you don't have a lot of range of motion, 
then you want to pair um, isometric contractions with uh, longer duration stretches. So 90 seconds to 120 seconds of like one and a half to two minute stretches paired with isometric contractions at the end range of these stretches. Um, it's really hard to describe a, a certain position <laughs> here, but um, for the hip, for example, probably a lot of people are familiar with the 90-90 position. So that is something you could go into. And when you want to train hip external rotation, you work on the front leg of the 90-90. When you work on hip internal rotation, you work on the rear leg of the 90-90. Um, and then it's just wiggling around, trying to find your deepest stretch, basically, and then performing isometric contractions, as in pushing into the ground, trying to lift off of the ground, these kind of things. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like it doesn't actually have to be that complicated either, right? Like, it can be somewhat gentle as well, just to kind of push that boundary a little bit? Yeah, so when you really want to make progress, um, you do want to ramp up to a higher, like, higher effort. But for example, after a run, a lot of my clients after a run do like only light, like 10 to 15 minutes of mobility training. And I tell them to only do like gentle, gentle mobility just to get the ankle and the hip and all of these um, joints into, into these positions or into a more relaxed state, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you want, you prefer that it be gentle after the run. Is there a reason because you're already warmed up and more loose or what do you think? Um, just because after a run, you're already really pretty fatigued and okay. intense mobility training can be also very fatiguing on the central nervous system. So I prefer for them to do, um, to do it more gentle after the run. And also you don't want to go all in before the run either, because then you're, also pre-fatigued and you want to perform well on the run so ideally you have it in if you do hard, harder mobility training I would prefer to do it separately from the running session and after the yeah. really good gentle stretches that is actually a really good question and I get asked that a lot and there seems to be kind of mixed reviews if we have somebody who's say they're running five or six times a week and they want to get mm -hmm. two or three mobility or strength sessions in a week how do you work that in around running that often? Yeah, so um, again, it really depends on the time the person has. Ideally, in an ideal world, you would have um, six hours, five to six hours um, of rest in between those sessions. So for example, run in the morning and have a strength mobility session in the afternoon or in the evening. So that's in an ideal world scenario. <laughs> um, yeah. Because running is the main priority. So if you do strength training and then afterwards go for a run, you're not going to have the same performance um, or not be able to, you won't be able to perform as well during the run. And that is still your main priority. So you want to probably go for a run first and then do your strength session later the day. Okay. But if you yeah, go for a run and then do your strength training directly afterwards, because you're already fatigued, the risk of injury is higher. Right. So yeah. what about strength exercises, um, mm -hmm. like squat, Bulgarian split squat? What do, you, do you think there's any kind of magic strength exercises, say your top three that you think runners need to be doing? Um, honestly, I do love Bulgarian split squats. They're like one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. They're so good. <laughs> any type of lunge variation I really love. Um, I don't think 
people need to do squats if it's something they love. I like I like to do squats. Um, then then you can absolutely absolutely do it. But also a lot of people don't feel comfortable in a squat either, or they feel like it's taking too much pressure on their knees or on their back. So really, you you have to find what works for you. And if you do a lunge variation, that's for a runner it's probably even better because it's more um it's simil more similar to like a um to the running itself because you're already in that split squat or split stance similar to running. Yeah, totally. We never have the balance of two legs just yeah. going up and down, right? Yeah. But also um, a lot of explosive work I think is um I know that's what I did um when I was still running track. I mean it was sprinter the the max distance was 400 meters. But um, also the the middle distance runners did a lot of explosive work as well. So like um, box jumps, um, jumps up the stairs, and these kind of things, frog jumps, all of that. I think that is also beneficial for it for runners. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff. I do find that is definitely more challenging to do when you're in a high volume. But during the winter, when volume's down, like that type of plyometric stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's so good. I do run into, I don't know if you find this a lot, um, that a lot of women are f afraid of the power type movements because they think that in combination with heavy lifting is going to make them bulky. And I always tell people that that's not true. Like we just don't really have the makeup to be super bulky. And even if we were like, who cares? But do you run into that much with your clients? Um, so my clients are not, they like being bulky. <laughs> <laughs> No, my clients are mostly strength based, so a lot some of them do run, but not all of them. Um, and I feel like I think specifically with women, it's like, oh, I don't want to look too muscular or they're insecure when they have too much muscle. Um, but the I tell them then, hey, you have the performance goal of this, you want to read, I don't know, 10 pull-ups, you want to get better at the squats. Just focus on that and your body will just adapt to what you're looking from a performance or health level. And then your body is in balance. So don't worry too much. I think it's also a lot of like mindset stuff that we, or that I work through with my clients because all those insecurities uh, about looking too bulky, I think that's um, because of how society has told us we need to look as a, as a woman. Um, but obviously as a distance runner, you don't want to be too bulky. But also because of all the running that you're doing, um, running is more uh, or gets you more into a catabolic state. So it's very unlikely, unless you have very good genetics, that you will end up building a lot of muscle, muscle mass. Because because of all the running that you're doing, I don't think um, you would be doing enough strength training to really build a lot of mass. <laughs> No, definitely not. But I kind of agree with you too. Like I'm, I'm glad that the CrossFit look is out there and kind of trying to normalize that too. Cause I think it just looks badass, and you look like you can take care of yourself. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I'm, I'm strength training like five times a week and I don't look anywhere near really muscular. So, <laughs> so I think, I yes, think you do. Like, you look strong, but yeah, you wouldn't look at you and say, Oh, that person looks weirdly bulky. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's right? a great example. So think, yeah. For women, it's either you have really good genetics or you work for years and years and years to really look like that. Like and just the amount of protein that you have to actually eat to yeah. grow muscle too. Like it's yeah. a, it's a lot, it's a work, right? Like it's, yeah. 
it's specific training to get that way. But um, okay, moving on, I want to ask you a bit about this, because this is something that's come up quite a bit with different people on the show. But no one's really kind of explained what it what it means or how we're supposed to handle it. So training around your cycle. Um, So I had kind of the first basic question was from Megan, who just said, I keep hearing about this, but I have no idea what it means. Should I take the week of my period totally off? Should I work out less? Should I just have lower expectations? Thank you. So can you um, give us a basic outline of, of what it means to kind of train around and with your cycle? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, the first thing that I would start um, or that I put my or tell my female clients is to start tracking their menstrual cycle and um, just to get an idea of where they are in their cycle and to understand how they feel during different phases of the cycle. Because after two to three months, you basically get an understanding of this is where I feel good. This is where I don't feel as good. And that's how you can make adjustments to your cycle but um, or to your training. But in general, when you look at the menstrual cycle, um, like I think the, the average menstrual cycle or when you look at the literature, it's 28 days. But anywhere from 21 to I think even 35-ish days is considered a normal menstrual cycle. So um, you have basically two phases. You have the follicular phase and you have the luteal phase of your cycle, which is basically a low hormone phase and a high hormone phase. Um, And the low hormone phase is basically the first day of menses going into ovulation. And then from ovulation until the last day before your period starts, that's basically the high hormone phase. And you have different hormones fluctuating throughout the menstrual cycle. So the first phase, the follicular phase, is called the low hormone phase because when you get your period, the mens- the hormones drop to their lowest levels and you have basically two major female sex hormones, um, estrogen and progesterone. And progesterone is low during that phase and it stays low till ovulation. Um, and estrogen is slowly rising and reaches its peak um, at ovulation and estrogen is considered um, the hormone that gives us a lot of energy it's considered an an anabolic hormone similar to testosterone in men just not as anabolic Um, and that is usually the phase where we feel on top of the world we feel like superwomen we can recover faster we have um, really good training sessions we sleep good Um, our mood, is, our mood is good. We usually don't have a lot of mood um, fluctuations or highs and lows during that phase. Um, and a lot of the time we peak or our peak performance, especially for resistance training, is around ovulation because that's when estrogen peaks as well. And when estrogen peaks, testosterone peaks as well. So after that, we go into the luteal phase or so the high hormone phase Um, And after ovulation, estrogen drops and it slowly rises again, together with progesterone. And progesterone is the hormone that is considered a catabolic hormone. So it's harder to build muscle mass during that time. Usually our heart rate increases, our core body temperature increases, so it feels a little bit hotter. And when we, especially when we train in heat, it can be a little bit more challenging for women to train in that in the heat during that phase of the cycle. 
Um, and it's also, it takes longer to recover. And that is especially the phase where we want to look at our nutrition, our sleep, our recovery to really be able to perform well. And especially nutrition uh, around training, um, especially talking about protein and carbohydrates around training and hydration as well because of that elevated core body temperature. So um, the first phase is just everything is bomb, everything is awesome we can train a lot and do a lot of training volume and intensity and then especially the last week usually of the cycle is where it's getting really tough where we also um, some of us experience pms syndromes like um premenstrual symptoms um cramps irritability bloating bad sleep fatigue um and usually once the hormones drop again when you get into a menstrual cycle and you feel good, then you can actually train harder again. So really, the the myth that you're not that you shouldn't be training during the menstrual cycle or during the period, um, not the case. If you feel good, you can absolutely go and crush your training because you actually have a good because your ho- hormones are low. You actually have a decent chance that your training will be really good. <laughs> and a lot of the time, the cramps also reduce with training. But if you feel like on the first day of your period or the second day, you don't feel um, as energetic or as good, light movement is also a good option and can help with the cramps as well. And then you can go and crush it again on day three. Awesome. Okay. So during, so then during the PMS phase, if that's not the technical name of the phase, but if you're experiencing that in the days leading up and you want to take it a little lighter, that's the time that you would do that? Yeah. So for example, in a textbook cycle, you have 28 days and you could crush it really in the first 20, 21 days. And then the last five to seven days, that's where you could consider a deload or a lighter training phase, for example. So that's generally what the literature says or what science tells us. But I always tell my clients that Track your cycle, see how you feel, and if you feel like the the um, training or the the cycle, the high hormone phase doesn't affect you as much, you can still train hard if you want to. Maybe just um, a training session less than in the in the low hormone phase. Um, yeah, so right. really, it's individual as well, and it's not like this is how it should be done and do it this way. You still want to listen to your body and see what it. What it tells you and also when you're training for a race or an event you can't really decide oh i don't want my race to be in the late like in the high hormone phase you can't right that's that. the challenge yeah yeah so um there are a couple things that you can do if your face or your prep week or whatever um taper i think it's called in running yes um, falls into that week um then you just really want to dial into your nutrition and maybe um, help your sleep or fall asleep faster or better um, with tart cherry, cherry juice that usually um, stimulates the sleep-inducing hormone melatonin so you can fall asleep better and faster. Um, and you want to really dial into your nutrition pre- and post-workout. So you want to make sure that before a tough run or before a run, you have um, something to eat about maybe 45 to, to 60 or 75 minutes before you run, you have a bit of carbohydrates and protein, maybe 150 calories. And then within 30 minutes after your session, you do want to make sure that you do have um, about 30 grams of protein and a bit of carbs as well. Like for example, a banana um, protein smoothie or something. 
and then I think that's often it. over that's often overlooked with females too is that importance of getting that protein back Absolutely. in to build back yeah. yeah and I just find we will not like people are they know that they should have carbs to replenish kind of their glycogen stores but you will yeah. break down your muscles if we're not replenishing with that protein so yeah I'm glad that you mentioned that for sure Absolutely. Especially when you're in the in the high hormone phase and progesterone is already high, which is a catabolic hormone. If you do not get enough protein, then there there will just be a breakdown of mus- muscle mass and you don't want that even as a runner. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't realize there was a, a link between your hormone phase and the requirements for protein. That's a really good tip to know. Yeah. And And about the cherry juice. I did not know that as well. That's great. <laughs> always looking for like natural supplements. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. And I actually did have, I don't know if you have much um, info for this person or not, but she is a coach. Her name is Montana and she works with younger athletes um, mm-hmm. who are going to be, I think on the Olympic ski team for Canada. Um, and so this kind of information, I feel like anyways, is relatively new. We didn't talk about this at all when I was growing up playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, even at higher levels, it was kind of ignored. So she's wondering if there's any information or resources that you have for younger athletes to learn about how to train around their cycle. Um, and she says, it, for example, workload and, and timing. So things we just talked about, but anything that is available to, I guess, parents of younger athletes or maybe teenagers who are just getting into it and, and where you where you find this info? Okay, so honestly, I haven't really dug into um, a lot of teen, like I don't work with a lot of teenagers. Most of my clients are uh, older than 20. Um, but I think generally you can look at information coming from Dr. Stacy Sims. And what I recommend all female athletes is the book war yes I know that Um, book is awesome yeah so that's that's really something that you can look into just to just understand the basics um and she also gives great information about nutrition also about menopause not about about much about teenage athletes but especially when you're a teenager and you're you're starting to get your menstrual cycle and things start to shift. There are a lot of hormonal changes coming up. And I think what's really important for, for these kind of athletes is to just um, make sure that they feel still confident in their body, even with all the changes happening. Yeah. And let them experience it, but also make them aware that these changes are normal and that they can use it to their advantage when once they know that which cycle. So if you really, you can also just um, schedule the training according to their cycle a little bit. So if someone just have the conversation with them, just let them let them know that you listen and that they can talk about their menstrual cycle. And once the coach knows which cycle or which phase of the cycle affects. The, the, the athlete or the female that's when the the coach can also make adjustments tell them tell them to okay this week maybe don't go as hard and that's okay because next week you can go all in again and don't worry about it like if you just listen to them as a coach that that oftentimes helps a lot already yeah I think you're absolutely right it's listening to people um and normalizing that so that they're not feeling the pressure from somebody else who's not in that time frame yeah. of their cycle and push through and create 
yeah, just normalizing, I guess, yeah. and having it, yeah, people around you, your leadership um, changing. And I think I, you mentioned Dr. Stacey Sims. We talk about her a lot, actually, because um, as you obviously know, so much of this research, research for athletic training hasn't been done on women. And yeah. she's just kind of highlighting that. But having people like yourself kind of out there actually spreading the message and training that way and getting such great results and passing it on to your clients is so awesome. So yeah. um, thank you for all of the content that you are putting out. I love your Instagram feed. It's like my favorite thank to just pick you. out random mobility things to do that day. If people want to find more of you, um, website, Instagram, all those things, where is the best place that they can, they can see your stuff? Um, so my website is... Um, basically just functionalbodyunit.com so um, that's and then Instagram is just Leslie and then functional body unit Um, so the functional body unit part is from um, basically the mobility part but also on our website there is a specific um, I think one site where it says holistic female athlete and that's where you can find more about the female specific coaching part yeah. Okay. Awesome. And is there anything else that you want to say or plug or talk about before we finish up? Um, honestly, just, yeah, there's one thing and that comes back to, to talking about this topic um, about female physiology and the menstrual cycle. And it is that um, because of those fluctuations in the hormone levels, your performance will also fluctuate, especially when you consider the, the high and the low hormone phase. Um, so, even if you have a test run or a, te- or a trial or whatever in that high hormone phase and it, it's not going as well as you thought it would, don't worry about it and don't compare yourself too much to others or to past performances because you don't know which cycle or in which phase of the cycle you were then. And you can maybe retest um, in the high hormone phase and see the difference. Like I think a lot of the time, especially with women, we compare ourselves so often to others and their performance and what they look like um, instead of just looking at our own lane and our own achievements and where we are at. So I think that's really important because we that's so- we have so many negative thoughts in our minds and we are so critical to ourselves. And I don't know why women are more critical to themselves than men, but it seems to be that way. That's what I've experienced with my clients. Um, so oftentimes it's not only knowing your menstrual cycle and training well, but also how do you talk to yourself and where, what's your mindset um, or where is your mindset at and how how's the self-talk that you have? Because a lot of the time that has a great impact on our performance as well. So um, that's just something that I think is really important. It totally is. And that's so funny because I have a training partner who – I run with quite often um, and we were just talking about that where she had a workout that was like a tempo workout and when you're doing a tempo that's quite quickly or that's quite Mm -hmm. fast like every um your pace per kilometer like a two seconds difference is huge right but that two seconds could easily be your cycle and the interesting thing is people um this might be a whole other can of worms but um she has the iud so you don't always totally know where you're in at your cycle. So again, yeah. it's easy to just assume that you're not training well or you're not as fit and that comparison like you just talked about. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think when you- you're on hormonal birth control, you don't have a regular cycle. So that's a different topic. You don't you're never really in that low hormone phase because you always have hormones coming in. 
And you're also never really in the high hormone phase. So you're always somewhere in between. But you never, you don't have a regular cycle because of those synthetic um, hormones that are coming in. Oh, interesting. So you're never that bad, but you're never that good. (laughs) So yeah, um, they did a couple of a couple of studies and it seems like your performance might be a little bit better when you're on a natural cycle so when you don't take hormonal birth control but um and athletes on hormonal birth control seem to be performing a little bit less well but it's not confirmed yet so it's not like this is what it looks like there are still athletes on hormonal birth control who still perform um, the same as uh, as women on on a natural cycle. So interesting. Yeah, you're right. That's a whole other topic and probably a whole other podcast, but definitely <laughs> something that uh, people need to or more research needs to be done on, it and will be really interesting. Yeah. So, well, thank you again so much for taking the time. I love this. You are so knowledgeable and so well spoken. I just um, I'm really impressed, and I'm so glad I found you. So thank you again, and yeah, I look forward to seeing what else you put out there on the interwebs. Well, thank you for having me. I had a a really good time.